Hi, and welcome to Women at Warp, a Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name's Jera, and thanks for tuning in. Today with me are crew members Sarah. Hello. And Aliza. Hey, hey. And we have a special guest, Matt. Hi. So before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries, loot boxes. You can join us for watch-alongs, stuff like that. Just visit patreon.com slash women at warp to learn more. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. And are you looking for podcast merch? Check out our Tee Public store. There are many designs to choose from, and we're adding new ones all the time. You can get them on t-shirts, masks, notebooks, stickers, all sorts of things. Find the Tee Public store at tpublic.com slash stores slash women at warp. Now, today's episode is it was actually a patron suggestion from Matt. So Matt, first, I wanted to ask you to tell us a bit about yourself and how you got into Star Trek. And then I'll ask you to tell us about why you picked this topic for today. Oh, uh, yeah. So I guess how I got into Star Trek, I'm going to credit LeVar Burton in Red- Reading Rainbow. Nice. So I don't know if, uh, if you guys remember the Reading Rainbow episode where he goes back uh, behind the scenes of Star Trek Next Generation. Oh, yes. But I, I feel like that was the, my first exposure to Star Trek. It's hard for me to remember exactly when I really started watching consistently somewhere between the start of season three and five. And I've been pretty much watching since then. And yeah, so this episode I mentioned when I actually suggested talking about the mixed species as a metaphor for like biracial people. And I just mentioned this episode because it was one that I remember thinking about when I saw it, when it originally aired. And yeah, I just, there were, there were a couple of points that I thought were just particularly relevant to my own personal experience. Awesome. Well, I'm sure we will get into that. And the episode for anyone who hadn't figured that out or read the title on the episode description is uh, Lineage, which is a Voyager episode. And I don't know if anyone would like to offer a brief summary. It's so hard to do a brief summary of this episode because this episode does not know what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> I guess the, the briefest summary is that Bolana finds out she's pregnant and freaks out that she's having a child who's going to be a mixed heritage like herself and wants to genetically alter her child to pass. I feel like that is a, a great short summary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I will mention that one of our listeners, um, Not A Bird Designs, said that apparently the description on either Paramount or Netflix, but couldn't remember which, it says something like, Bolana has a strange reaction to her pregnancy. (laughs) And uh, they were bothered by that. I think that was Paramount Plus, because I noticed that too. Yeah, no. (laughs) But yes, I mean, that is, that's essentially what this episode is about. So... Like, is this an episode that stuck with you from the first time you saw it? I went to rewatch this episode last night and realized I had had it confused with a completely different episode the whole time. And I have no memory of watching this the first time. So you're getting a very, very fresh take on this from me today. Awesome. My my impression of this episode is not good. Mm. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I, similarly to you, Sarah, I only saw this recently and... 
weirdly, the first impression I had was based off of someone describing the episode to me. So someone mm. told me about it before I ever saw it. And I was horrified when I heard about what the subject of the episode was. And then I watched it recently. And I was like, yeah, still bad. But like, I think actually overall, like a really well-constructed episode. Mm. And oh, Roxanne Dawson really acts her butt off in this, like some of her best work as this character. So mixed feelings about the episode overall. Yeah. I, I think it, it certainly has its issues and about the, I guess what it's trying to say. It's just that I don't know if, if I'm alone in feeling this way, but the idea of changing the genetics of the child, well, not, I didn't want to change. I wouldn't want to change the genetics of my child. It was more of, I wanted to change myself. Um, and that's what the episode reminded me of. Um, when I was a kid is uh, I grew up in a town where there weren't really any other Asian people or, or half Asian for that matter. So I just remember the experience of being picked on for that and thinking about well, what if I could remove that part of myself, would that make me better accepted by my peers? So. You are definitely not, not alone in this. Many of our listeners wrote in, and um, several people had similar experiences. Not a Bird Designs, who I mentioned earlier, said, as a mixed person seeing this episode as a child, it made me feel seen in a way that no other TV show or movie had. It's one of my favorite episodes of Trek, though, of course, given it's from the Berman era, a few things could have been better. <laughs> right. It was just a funny thing when I saw this, you know, back in, like, it was like 2001 or something. And I just like... Did, did these people read my mind from my, like, I don't know, when I was like fourth grade, in fourth grade or whatever? Because I just, it instantly brought me back to remembering thinking about doing that to myself on the bus on the way home. I always, I usually am one of the last people off the bus. So I had a lot of time to to uh, sit and think because didn't really have, I think sometimes I'd have a, a friend there for a little while, but most of the ride was just sitting there thinking. And that was something that, came into my mind uh, for a while there, a uh, couple of times, I think. That's cool. When I was um, younger, like my memory of it, obviously, I am I am very white. So I do not have that kind of personal connection to the story. But I definitely remember two things that I appreciated about it the first time I saw it, which was around when it first aired, were I definitely remember the actress who played young Bolana and how she reacted to bullying I related to that bit on a personal level, um, and I thought that she did a really great job. And I also remember really appreciating Tom throughout the episode. And like, th I feel like this episode is a good example of his growth over seven years. Mm -hmm. I actually watched it twice in the last couple of weeks just to refresh my memory um, about it. And something that I did forget about, it was uh, that part of the, the reason... Valana wanted to do this because of her own, I think, fear of abandonment. She equated her father leaving because of her Klingon side. And I was like, oh, I do remember that now. Um, but it was never something that I personally related to or was my part of my experience. So I'm never worried about that. But that's just something that a detail that I, I forgot. But I, I definitely remembered that Tom was doing his best to be supportive, I think. Mm -hmm. 
Did you have thoughts, um, either Sarah or Eliza, about about Tom in this episode? I felt like he did some good work of like listening and really trying to get to the bottom of things and knowing number one, this isn't like you. This isn't something that you logically are doing. And, you know, without completely, there was a little aside of like, oh, that's the hormones. But thankfully, it didn't stay in mm-hmm. that place because mm-hmm. um, that would have been annoying. Yeah. But um, yeah, he just he went deeper. He was like, there's something deeper here. And I really want to get to the bottom of it. I like that. I, I really like how they showed, I feel like, healthy relationship dynamics and working through conflict in a relationship. Even like taking a little space, kind of healthy sometimes, you know. And when they came back together, they were ready to, like, start again and try that process again of of communicating better. So, yeah, Tom, it's nice to see him in this. I also do want to acknowledge the – I have to kind of step back because this is Star Trek. It's 24th century. And my hope when watching this episode is, like, I would hope that people would not still feel this way and be treated like this. I would hope that we would have evolved past this. Um, She got bullied by her human family members. Humanity is supposed to be in Star Trek, this quasi-utopian society that has overcome a lot of stuff. And yet, Mm -hmm. and yet, (laughs) this is still an issue that she went through as a child. So it's weird for me to look at it through the lens of like 21st century politics and social identities. But if you do apply that lens to it, then Tom is coming from a privileged place where he's never had to think this way. He's never had to feel this way in his life. So, you know, for, I I think that can, um, it probably was to Bellana's benefit that she had a partner that could just like be, stand strong in that and, and push back against that. But also, he probably couldn't relate to her because of that and in, in in that like more interpersonal way he couldn't really understand like what that what it really feels like to feel that way so yeah all in all i think they did a good job of showing tom being a good partner in this yeah i i 100% agree with everything you said about tom being a supportive partner i want to go back to what you said about her being hormonal Mm. that's the thing that really bothered me in the episode, how she got pregnant and suddenly she's so hormonal, she's capable of anything, and she's also not held accountable for anything she did, Mm. including Mm. violating the doctor's consent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was really bad, and they kind of just skimmed right over it. Yeah, I think that that is like a big thorny issue here that isn't fully explored, is that she you know, alters his program without his consent to override his ethical subroutines. It's like as if, you know, if someone could say like, hey, I want you to go over there and steal from that old lady. And I said no. And they like forced me to do it like that there. She is trying to do make him do something that he knows to be unethical. Mm hmm. And he's just not bothered by it. It's like, you know what? She's going to be pregnant for another eight months and you're just not worried <laughs> anything else is going to go wrong here. Yeah, I I did like the part where Paris goes to get parenting advice from Tuvok because um, it's like, yeah, there aren't really like a lot of other parents on this ship, I guess, except Samantha Wildman, who's just off somewhere all the time. <laughs> and uh, so but I, I always like when I feel like Tuvok is is a good parental advice type person yeah that's actually something that i didn't remember as much uh, focusing more on the 
uh, gene editing aspect of the episode, but uh, it was amusing to hear all the crew members talking about their own little like old wives tales or I'm not sure what a better term for that is, but like, why don't you name him Chakotay? Yeah. <laughs> or um, I guess Bullions believe if you give birth near a warp core, it'll give the oh, child yeah. a better disposition. I'm like, that, that's an interesting one. I've actually not heard another term other than old wives. I guess folklore for those yeah. types of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, when you're like, how long have the Bullions had warp drive that it affected their mm-hmm. beliefs about childbirth? <laughs> I love that. I love that little touch. Chakotay saying, Taya, what about Taya? Yeah. <laughs> I do want to go back to the gene editing thing, but I, I actually find the part, like all the crew members' reactions to her pregnancy and how that like puts pressure on her. Mm-hmm. I actually, I mean, I don't want kids, but I find that extremely relatable because anytime I come anywhere near a baby shower, I just feel like a cat being patted backwards with all the advice people are giving the person mm-hmm. and uh, and all their like... And I know it's jokey, but it, it's kind of these weird norms and expectations that we put on pregnant women that just drive me bananas. Mm-hmm. A point that uh, Elisa made about the idea of, you know, are you hope in the 24th century mm. you wouldn't be facing this anymore? And I, I think that I think Jesse Gender made a similar point to what I was just thinking about was that Star Trek is kind of in this funny position where it's trying to make commentary about today, but set in the future. So you have to have people have experiences that are relatable to today, but at the same point, you're like, we should be past that at that point. So uh, I don't know if this is something you guys uh, think much about it in terms of how Star Trek portrays issues of today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, for me, it, it's always been that Star Trek is only utopian just when it comes to Earth. Like, the mm-hmm. way Earth has progressed, it had to go through really, really horrible, bad dystopian times to get to this, like, peaceful equilibrium of a utopia. And so... When you take humanity out into the stars, meeting other species, that's where the conflict comes. So that's how I view Star Trek. And I think that's also how how Star Trek has been able to become allegorical for modern day problems. It's not like just saying human to human conflict, go, that's it. Like, yeah, that's right. the story. No, it's actually saying this is th- we're looking at our own human to human conflicts through the lens of inter-alien, interspecies, interplanetary conflicts. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. The, it is like a really uh, interesting position that Star Trek places itself in to have that co- social commentary. And also, yeah, like that said, my point before about like, I, w- I would have hoped that we- they would have been past this. I think we all know, though, we've all watched a lot of Star Trek. We see how Klingons get discriminated against. We see how right. Worf is treated on TNG, and we see how like they're, they're always tr- Klingons are always treated as like loud and and so like just too much and all that stuff and all these things that a lot of modern day people of color and other like underrepresented minorities in the U.S. experience and stereotypes we we get put on ourselves. So so yes, it makes sense that they would use. Uh, Balana as a lens to tell the story through. Mm. Yeah, it just also reminded me of like 
the specifics of the bullying that Melania experienced that Klingons will eat gah, right? And so put an, a worm on her sandwich. Yeah. She should like that, right? But, you know, it's stereotypes are just that stereotypes and not everybody from, or even partially from a, a different culture are necessarily going to expect, uh, meet the norms that you expect them to. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it also shows like as enlightened as humanity is, kids still can say and do things that are hurtful to other people and and not just kids. But yeah, I, th- I think mm-hmm. there are some good things that this episode, there are lots of good things that this episode kind of points to. But I want to turn to <laughs> one of the things, just the major ick factor for me is obviously the genetic mm-hmm. removing of a child's ethnicity well not ethnicity Mm -hmm. but species Mm -hmm. and yeah it's just like oh goodness like it is a hard pill to swallow when you watch this episode that she would go that far i know i've talked to other people who are parents about this episode and they're like i kind of see like where she's coming from i can understand and i'm i'm like i i get you know balana is a beloved character i i love balana she i think she's such an awesome character but i was just really really disturbed by seeing her go so far as to, like you said, Sarah, just like violate the doctor's consent to genetically change the the species of her child. And again, it's like, it's hard for us as modern day viewers to see that and not see the parallels in actual race and ethnic cleansing and all that stuff. Right. Yeah. And, as a, a parent, uh, I have two kids, and I, I do remember before they were born, I was wondering what they would be like, and I, I had some of these fears about, are they going to experience anything like what I did? Because one of the funny things uh, about my experience is, uh, I mean, I suppose when I was younger, I looked, I think, a little more Chinese, but I, I look at myself and like, I, I don't even see it really at all. I, I mean, I guess partially, I. I just see me as me. And I, 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 I don't even know if I could, if, if I didn't know that it was me, if I could guess like ethnicity at all. And I think one of the, the most surprising things that I remember in high school was uh, somebody that I had known for a few years, but didn't know me when I was younger. She thought I was hundred percent Chinese. I was like, what? <laughs> so I wasn't sure if how, Asian, my kids would look in, would they experience any discrimination? We ended up living in a, a slightly more diverse town than I grew up in. So it probably wouldn't have been as much of an issue, but I don't know. I think they look pretty white. So I don't think I have to worry about that. And, and no genetic engineering on my part to, to make that happen. Uh, it's just how it happened. Uh, yeah. And that's, I, so I, I'm not mixed race. I'm mixed heritage, but both my parents are black. And so I don't, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really want to hold space for mixed race people. And, and I really appreciated the conversation that you led Sarah with the mixed species, or uh, I forget what you titled it, but mixed species characters in Star Trek episode that we did. Uh, that was wonderful to hear people like talk through those things. So for me, it's like, I can, yeah, I can definitely hold space for that. But I also worry about kids who, like, if you are, so, like, if you're mixed race and you pass as white, I mm-hmm. think that's hard, too. Like, that's just, that's not just as hard. I can't say that in terms of, like, 
society treating you a certain way. But I think in terms of your own, how you identify and the people that you connect with, I think that can be really hard for kids to go through too. So do you, as mixed race people, do you ever, when you think about your kids, do you think about that side of things too? For, for my kids, I we, we've been trying to do our best to expose them to Chinese culture to the best of our ability, but it, it was it's hard because my dad, being the the Chinese side, uh, he worked a lot, and so I didn't always like I didn't get exactly like a particularly even Chinese American experience. Like my parents didn't send us to Chinese language school or anything like that, and didn't really end up learning the language. So I got exposed to it usually more when I was visiting family uh, as opposed to growing up. And I think my kids are kind of getting a similar experience, but I feel like probably myself and my kids would not really be all that accepted on in the Chinese community as well as mm. for me, I don't think I, I always felt like I don't fit either place. Mm. I think for, for my kids, they'll, they could probably be more readily accepted in American, more white spaces than in Chinese, but I don't know if that's, the case that's just my guess yeah i mean it's hard i think yeah in, in either direction it can be hard like I, I know even though i'm not mixed race i'm i have you know black on both sides basically i have one side of my family that's puerto rican and the mm -hmm. other that's african-american and so i do relate to the the feeling of being both and neither and not really sometimes not feeling quite enough of one or the other or both Mm -hmm. So I totally relate to that. And I think I do have it easier because my my racial identity is pretty clear to me, even though my sometimes my cultural identity in my life has been kind of confusing to me. Yeah, I, I think for me, I feel perhaps more of a cultural identity uh, confusion. And this is something that I, I kind of think I, I relate to with Bolana because I, I don't think that she truly embraces the, her Klingon culture and Klingon oh, yeah. heritage. But mm -hmm. there are points when she did like the, um, what was the, uh, Barge of the was Dead. it Day of Honor? or Barge of the Dead at the end, kind of like, well, mm -hmm. I, I, well, there is um, the part where she's trying to celebrate the Day of Honor. Right. Yeah, that's what I was thinking about. Mm -hmm. I mentioned Barge of the Dead because um, I think that this episode lineage fits into like a pattern of Bolana episodes that to some extent, I think the writers had a hard time thinking of ways to like other types of conflict she could go through. Cause she has so many episodes that are, I think largely many of them are very strong episodes, but they're, they really repeat this theme. Mm -hmm. Although also perhaps that that is accurate because I feel like that level of kind of interconflict inter of trauma isn't something that you just overcome in one episode. So we had our friends at Introspectional Podcast uh, commented that this episode is such an important story about Bolana and how when we have children, so much of our unresolved trauma bubbles up even when we think we've dealt with it. And it deepens part of her history that we first learned about in Faces, mm -hmm. which is the one where she split into two, the Klingon half mm -hmm. and the human half. And we see things come back up emotionally when she sees her father again in the last season. It just gets into an emotional nuance when it comes to dealing with prejudice and how it can influence your psyche in ways that you might not realize. And Barge of the Dead was, I think, a season before this. And that's the one where she thinks her mother is going to cling on hell mm -hmm. and she needs to 
help, like, relieve her mother of shame. And so for me, this episode, when I first saw it, one thing I didn't like so much was, to me, I felt like it was a step step back for Bolana in that character arc. But like I said, maybe it's accurate that we actually do need to revisit these parts of ourselves fairly often in our real lives. It just wasn't that common in episodic Star Trek at the time. Right. I feel like we should mention the the tragic mulatto trope because they mm-hmm. always lean so heavily into that with Bolana, which mm-hmm. I mean, she's kind of coded as half black versus someone like Deanna Troy, who is half betazoid and half human, but she's like coded white. So she doesn't have this tragic story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My understanding is she's, well, I mean, I guess you can debate what she's coded, but in this episode, we see her, her human family is uh, Latine. Latinx and like with her last name that was and the um and the actor's heritage but either way I think the trope applies do you want to maybe tell a little bit about the trope for anyone in the audience who hasn't heard the tragic mulatto term before just that it's like oh this person who is half white and half black is such a sad story you know it's, it's just a, a common theme yeah and it, it like it goes back in in literature and in um film way, way, way back. And often in classic film and literature, the result is that character must die. Um, And we see this in probably the best example in Star Trek is the Paradise Syndrome, where Miramini gets stoned to death. And the result is that their tragic mulatto child cannot be born. And it kind of relieves the anxiety of of that existence of that child would have had on Kirk's life. So that uh, is something that has a long history and um, it doesn't result in death in Bolana's case, but in some cases, like she's looking at annihilating that part of her child's heritage. So it's heavy. I, I think the other thing that it connects to um, that I feel was really topical at the time, so I don't know if this was part of the creator's decision was also the debates around editing the genes of fetuses with disabilities. Hmm. And uh, so I would be surprised if that wasn't part of their thinking in creating this episode um, was those debates. Although like, obviously, yeah, it's, it's another complicated issue. And, you know, at a time when I feel like uh, the, not just your country, but like um, much of the world is really um, has reproductive rights top of mind. Mm-hmm. It almost feels sometimes like, you know, maybe we can't even talk about these nuances because we have to focus on like the fundamental rights, but it doesn't take away from the fundamental right to control your body that like it is it is not ethical to deny the existence of, of someone based on their race or ethnicity. Yeah, even when it's your own mm-hmm. child. Yeah, absolutely. So it's interesting you bring that up because that's what kind of gets Bolana started in thinking about this process and begin with because it turns out her daughter has a, a spinal curvature issue. I forget right. or something like that. And I guess at this, uh, when she was young, they fixed it with surgery. At this point, they can do some sort of gene editing to fix it. Uh, so apparently, at least this episode saying Star Trek thinks that it's okay to fix potential genetic disabilities with gene editing at the uh, while still a fetus, and but removing the uh, heritage, uh, like the aspect of the person, that's that's probably going too far, right? <laughs> so yeah, I mean, what if that little girl grew up to be like Worf and be super pro Klingon, but her mom had removed her ridges? Like she would be so mad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. 
And I, I mean, I think that there is probably a thesis that could be written about uh, Star Trek and genetic engineering. I know there's some papers, but I feel like Star Trek has also is also swinging around in its stance on these issues in some of the newer shows or, you know, becoming a much more open to it potentially being okay, in some cases. But I feel like this is definitely a line that they draw. And I mean, yeah, the disability thing is is a whole other thing entirely. Like it would be a completely different situation if we were looking at, you know, the child being born with like a form of blindness like Jordy had and them deciding to make a choice on that would be to me like extremely a different case than like fixing a spinal curvature that like would have to be fixed for the, to keep the child alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one that you bring up also because that brings up a masterpiece society. Of- yeah. Where you know, someone like Jordy wouldn't exist, but they use his visor technology to save the colony. And yeah. so Star Trek has had some kind of back and forth, I think, thoughts on disability. It does seem to waver a little bit, I guess, on that one. So I looked up the writer of this episode because I was thinking to myself, was this written by a white dude? I think it was written by a white dude. And yes, <laughs> it was. But he was also a former ER doctor. So he had the oh. medical background. And also, just for context, like, this was the time of, like, Dolly the Sheep, and it seemed like all of genetic engineering was opening up to us at this time. So this was a Mm -hmm. hot topic. And I don't don't know what to think of that. He had, like, genetic engineering and all of Star Trek's sandbox to play in, and he went to race. I think it does make sense that this was written by a white guy. Uh, I mean, uh, Berman era, partially. But even though I can relate to Bolana's feelings, I think that it... It's a little problematic to me that it's being written by a white person who probably doesn't actually have this experience with a a white person who hasn't gone through this experience of being bullied for their own heritage. You know, I'm not sure where they, I'm kind of curious as to where they got this idea. Um, Is it because like I I got, I could see that from my own personal experience, but why are they, how'd they come up with the, the idea of this feeling of wanting to remove that part of yourself. I don't know if it's this episode, but there is, uh, I have heard uh, that there's a a white writer who wrote uh, an episode that had like racial overtones in it, similar to this one, if not this one. And they Mm -hmm. said that he, he, I think it was a, he said that his stepbrother or half brother is half black and half white. And and that inspired him to write these types of themes into the episode. Again, I'm not mm. sure if it was this episode or some other Star Trek episode. But uh, and not to defend that choice to write about yeah. it when it's not their like firsthand experience. But I think that might be um, uh. something there. Oh yeah, I mean, um, the guy who wrote Far Beyond the Stars was white, and that episode's mm-hmm. incredible. But they also had Avery Brooks direct it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to that question of, you know, are writers allowed to write outside of their experience? And if they do, what should they be doing to make an informed decision that they're writing about these topics? I mean, do y'all so do, do y'all feel? Uh, yeah, Matt, it sounds like you're you know, you have some questions about that. How do you Jared and Sarah, like, how do you feel about that? Well, first of all, I'll just say it was directed by Peter Lauritsen, who I believe is a white guy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, I think it's complicated. I think that in a TV show, I think that there are many different 
steps in the production where people have the opportunity to input into the process. And so it's a little bit less clear cut than say a novel. But I think that, you know, so for example, just say like, the original writer had an idea and then it was heavily reworked by this behind the scenes by a diverse writer's room and passed like between various people. I think that that like can kind of address some of the issues in some ways. It's hard to know without knowing, you know, how many drafts did this go through and like how many, you know, at which stage were these ideas inserted? I mean, I do feel like generally it's problematic and you should be asking yourself when you come into situations like this, like could if this story is important enough to tell, can we not find someone who has this experience to tell it? Or can we not find a consultant that can like read this script and let us know if it's horribly off base? But I will, I'll I'll say that like from my, like what I'm hearing and what like I've, I hear from the listener comments is not that like necessarily it was an inaccurate depiction of some of the conflicts that people feel, but just that like the, the choice to kind of maybe link it with the genetics was potentially triggering or or like problematic and then the fact that of his background was is also potentially like brings in kind of an appropriation angle is that roughly reflecting what is kind of being discussed yeah i i think that's kind of what i would think too uh, that's kind of my my feelings um you know certainly i would appreciate if if somebody a writer is writing about an experience that isn't theirs then they should be discussing it with people that have relevant experience so that at the very least we can see if there's truth behind it otherwise i only can speak for myself and saying like uh, how i felt like doing that to myself um that that's like i guess that does feel a little bit truthful but you know it if that's not something that other people uh, ever really feel like, then are you just creating this sort of idea that people might think of is the experience when it's not authentic? Oh, I'll just add that James Kahn also wrote the story for the Masterpiece Society. Uh, Hmm. So I know, yeah, I'm pretty sure he had some similar thoughts in mind. Hmm. One thing about lineage that I wonder if, you know, if someone who had like firsthand experience, life experience of being mixed race had written it, would it have ended the same way? Would Belana have? It? So first of all, the fact that she finally does come to terms with it and realize like, okay, no, yes, I'm good. I want my child to still have my genes in her. But the breakthrough wasn't, hey, you need to chill with this self-hatred stuff. It was oh, no, I'm not going to leave you like your father did. And, and even though it's like very emotionally impactful and it's such it's really great TV writing. Like I said before, I think this is a really well-constructed episode of TV and episode of Star Trek. But but what was the lesson she actually learned? Like, did she actually, once again, just like Barge of the Dead, did she kind of like shave another I don't know what the metaphor is shave a notch off of her self-hatred of her Klingon setness I don't think so I don't know if she did she kind of just was like okay it's not the worst thing if my daughter has ridges like me because her dad's not going to leave her but like all the rest of her self-hatred is is presumably still there still lurking under the surface so that that is one thing that I I wish like 
I wish we could have had a little bit more of Bellana's growth towards not hating her Klingon self. Totally agree. Yeah, it it's funny because I think uh, that's something that I definitely struggled with uh, over the years, and I I think I've come to a comfortable place with myself, but, but I don't know how much that will ever fully, uh, how much that trauma will ever be healed. So. Mm. It's a lifelong thing, right? Like, you know, we live in a society where we're fed these ideas about certain parts of ourselves and saying, thinking that they're wrong or less than, or they should be this, they should be that. And yeah, it, it takes a lifetime to undo that work. So yeah, for you and for everyone who's listening, who's still going through that, please don't feel like, you know, you have to be like, have figured it out overnight. Cause, and maybe that is a, a, um, one good reason to see a character like Balana. Uh, but I guess what I'm saying is like, I just wish in all of the Balana episodes, I wish we had gotten a little closer to her cracking through that self-hatred. I think it just, this episode could have done, could have brought her a little further along, but then it, it didn't quite get there. Mm-hmm. I will say that's one thing I think Worf does really, really well is teaching Alexander about his Klingon heritage mm-hmm. while he's living in a human society or a predominantly human society. And I think that's what me had grow up with a healthy perspective on being mixed race because I grew up visiting Mm -hmm. Japan and I grew up living in a neighborhood that actually had a lot of Japanese kids because there was a Japanese microchip company in town. They would bring over engineers who would bring their entire families. And so we would socialize with them a lot. And we had some kids living right up the street. We used to play all the time. So it's, I don't think I had some of the difficulties that you guys had. And I think that's something that Worf is doing really well for Alexander is helping him appreciate his culture. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I mean, Bellana was resistant to that because her mom tried to, but she like Bellano kept pushing it away. But I guess, you know, we see from this episode, it was a lot, a lot of it had to do with her feeling like her father left because she was Klingon. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that <laughs> we have both depictions of that, right? We have Balana who struggles with it, but then we get to see Alexander be raised around a lot of humans, but have his Klingon dad teach him. And and then Alexander actually take that up of his own accord, too, and become a Beck uh, later in his story. So it's good to have multiple, multiple representations of Klingonness. <laughs> yes. And multiple representations of being mixed race. I mean, it seems like Mm -hmm. Molly O'Brien got raised with a lot of Japanese culture. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask Sarah how you feel this episode and and Bolana. Like, do you see, you know, big themes that were jumping out from that bigger discussion that you had in the earlier episode? Yeah, just that they made Bolana have it so bad while, you know, (laughs) Deanna Troy had it easy and Molly had it easy. Mm -hmm. and. You know, to some extent, Alexander had it pretty easy, but just Bolana just had it so hard. Mm-hmm. Sarah, I think you're absolutely right. I never realized what you're saying about Deanna, that how easy she had it as a mixed species person, person and her being coded as white. Mm-hmm. And you're you're absolutely right about Klingons and that like blackness being coded into it. And not just blackness, but like Asianness and otherness and being exoticized too yeah oh yeah you you hit the nail on the head with that and that's exactly Mm -hmm. 
that's I think that's why it's hard for me as a black person sometimes as much as I love Belana and seeing her like as a Latina character and actress just rock that role. It's also hard for me to see her be so self-hating against the Klingon side because it feels like a rejection of blackness. It really does. Mm-hmm. That's how it hits emotionally. Yeah, I um, was going to say with, with like, Deanna, um, there's clearly, like you were saying, the white passing, but also, like, I mean, in her character, human passing, that, like, she has to tell people she's a betazoid. Um, Apparently, her eyes are darker. Um, Mm -hmm. But also, in terms of the the way that they're exoticized, like, Deanna's the sexy kind of exotic, and Mm. Klingon isn't known to be, like, the sexy kind of exotic, although... I mean, Kalar man, but uh, <laughs> queen. Yeah, but like it, there's um, you know, Klingon like she has the angry woman part of the stereotype too, which is also like a racialized stereotype for human women um, in various and, races and Latina women and Black women. Yeah, like absolutely, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so she has that whole aspect as part of her character as well. That is, um, whereas like. Bolanos, or sorry, Deanna is just more like feelings oriented, which is not a stigmatized trait in women. Yeah, and it's funny when you mentioned Deanna because I think she's one that I have to actually kind of remind myself that she's half Betazoid. Like, she's not the one that I think of when I think of these like human species, uh, human alien allegories for mixed race. Like, I think of Spock or Bolana. Yeah, it doesn't come up in my in my thoughts when I, I think of those kind of characters. And then probably because she is like so human and white passing, like that you just she seems like any other character on TNG. Yeah, and she also is going against the grain in terms of like our, you know, nineteen ninety-five societal norms by being the chief engineer and a maquis. Like she's a rebel. She's not in Starfleet when she starts out. She punches a white guy in like her first episode or second episode. Yeah. So yeah, I mean I think that like, you know, some of when we talk about Deanna, we talk about how like some of her more feminine traits, like those are often things that our society undervalues, but they're definitely like normative for for white women. Mm-hmm. And everything Bolana is doing is like not normative for women in our society. Um, so in some ways, it's it's extremely cool. But I get that like it's also then like kind of hard, especially when people relate to her to see her go through these like really painful struggles. I don't know. I'm just. I'm trying to like put this thought together about how Bolana's like a woman who gets to be angry and Kira's a woman who gets to be angry, but they're portrayed in very different ways. Mm. Like mm. Kira doesn't really have the tragic story that Bolana has. I mean, she has yeah, tragic well, background, it's- but it's not like, <laughs> ongoingly tragic. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's not like repeated every episode that like, I feel like sometimes she has, maybe Kira has a bit more of an arc in that respect. I think Bolana grows a lot, but she continually comes back to this issue. It's it's more an identity thing. Yeah, like, I mean, they've both been through trauma, but, like, Kira literally survived an occupation, so maybe we cut her a bit more slack for that. Mm. But Kira definitely doesn't have the, like, uh, kind of, um, I guess what I'm trying to, like, the um, racial tension or the sense of, like, not fitting in because she's a Bajoran. Because she bonded with her community as a result of the trauma she went through in the occupation. Right. And if anything, she might butt heads with the provisional government, but it's not a identity type of thing. Mm. Yeah, super interesting. We're going to think more about that. I think one thing that I was 
thinking about before doing this episode was that you know I, I was kind of interested in talking about this but I, I saw some people on Twitter talking about one of our other favorite mixed species characters Spock and concerns mm-hmm. about with Strange New Worlds him being too much dealing with too much with his uh or of uh, between his human and Vulcan side and yeah you know, that made me think about this episode and you know was coming up and I was like, yeah, th- that's what this episode's about, and we're going to talk about it. And <laughs> I, I think, you know, the, the, what people, some people I saw uh, were saying was that, at least if I'm understanding them correctly, we don't want to have to always feel like the the mixed race person is has this inner conflict. And and I I think what that made me think about was, I can I can appreciate that because what it made me realize, like, I don't want to to have this in me like if, if i could just uh change my past so that i felt like i could fully embrace both sides of it uh i would love that but unfortunately i can't change that so i guess it's one reason why episodes like this still do impact someone like me mm. yeah it's really interesting that this is such a recurring theme in star trek and i think that it it's positive to have more examples of these characters because there is no like one biracial experience. Um, so, you know, if we like everyone is not, does not have necessarily the type of experience that Bolana had or that Spock had or that Deanna had. And like, when we have more examples, we can compare them better and talk about how that connects more to real world situations. Yeah. So yay, Star Trek for being a great big universe. <laughs> I did want to shout out a, a mention of a scene that we we did not note uh, that Craig, one of our listeners, wrote about. Um, it, he wrote about some of the other ones we did cover, but he also shouted out the scene where Echeb uh, thinks the baby is a parasite, which I'm very <laughs> fond of. I, I completely forgot about that until I watched it. Like, oh, Echeb. <laughs> that was such an Echeb moment. Yeah. Um, we also had a comment from Anne-Marie that was just like, no one ever talks about what it feels like to come from a mixed background and then address what that means for your potential children. So effing powerful and bold. So I feel like that is uh, maybe a good note to start to wrap up on, but um, I'll throw it out there for any final thoughts. I kind of wonder, I never asked my parents about like if they actually thought about that. <laughs> now that you mentioned that, like, um, so like, I'm... I, I know what my experience was um, having my own children, but I, I kind of was like, well, they're probably going to be pretty white passing. So it may not affect them. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but I, I'm, now it makes me wonder if my parents anticipated that their children might experience any of the kind of difficulties that I had. Um, I have the feeling that so my dad grew up, fairly poor in Hong Kong. And I think he viewed America as the land of opportunity and he was going to be in a better place. And I think that he, I suspect that he probably didn't anticipate really any issues. He's like, America is going to be a lot better than Hong Kong. So that no no matter what it is, it's probably better. But I, I, I do kind of wonder if they ever thought about that or if it just didn't even occur to them. I felt like it was really weird that they wanted to know what their kid was going to look like. Mm. Like, I don't know. That felt very strange because, you know, a lot of people don't even want to know what gender their kid's going to be. 
And mm-hmm. so want to know what your child's going to look like when it comes out. And it's like, what if, what if like environmental factors change that it doesn't look like that? Or I was thinking about um, Ann Curry. She's a, a news anchor on one of the networks, or she was, and she used to be on the local news here in Portland. Um, and she's half Asian and her biological child is blonde and blue eyed, 100% mm-hmm. white passing. And so she goes out in public and like people would assume her child was adopted. Or that she's the nanny or something. Yeah. We hear a lot about the cases like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and I don't know why I was connecting that with them wanting to know what the child was going to look like. But that that just seemed very strange to me. Interesting. I, I'm not surprised by that. Like, I think I, I feel like I've even seen like one of those, um, you know, like, you know, those apps that make your face look different. I feel like I've seen one that you can merge your face with someone else and it shows you what your hypothetical kid should look like. And it's just one of the like, it's very creepy. It's, it's like one of those ones that like down ages you or up ages you based on a photo. And also you should always be suspicious of those apps. But anyhow, <laughs> um, the uh I'm not surprised by that at all. I think people like a lot, not just like, not to do with race necessarily, but like, just think about, you know, is my baby going to look like me? Or, I mean, and people also think a lot about how much they look like their parents, um, and which parent they look more like. And as soon as the baby's born, you start getting comments being like, oh, it looks so much like whichever parent. And uh, I've heard from friends who've had babies who are like, everyone says it looks like the other parent and I'm starting to get worried about like, what if she isn't going to ever look like me? (laughs) And um, yeah, so to me, that's not surprising, but it is, uh, it has a whole kind of more sinister level. Oh, and also the the hologram baby just looks weird and creepy (laughs) because of, of, I guess, early 2000 CGI. I know it was like, like, one tiny step above that dancing baby on Ellie McBeal. <laughs> the really creepy CGI baby. Yes. Oh my gosh. I forgot about that until you just brought reminded it and brought it back into my <laughs> visual memory. That's sorry delightful. for that. The dancing, <laughs> dancing morale. Um, and I think morale is also uh, like, you know, maybe the coolest part of Endgame. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I know has, you know, more of a role in the uh, beta canon of, of the novels, as well as I believe Star Trek Online. Um, and I just love that morale is a is a character generally. So pro that. It, my speaking of Endgame, getting a little off topic with the, the episode. All good. But, uh, my headcanon is that uh, all of the positive aspects of what we see in the future still happen. Like I, I mm-hmm. firmly believe that Harry Kim is a captain. <laughs> I, I do not like mm-hmm. all these jokes that Harry Kim's still an Emerson. I'm like, no, he's captain. He went on a four year mission and uh, in deep space. If, if Garrett Wong wanted to do the show, I'd be like captain Kim on a four year mission. I want to see it. Awesome. Well, often when we do episode reviews, we also have the opportunity to like rate the episode and you can rate it out of whatever you'd like. So for example, I will rate this episode seven out of 10 parasite babies. Hmm, That's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I, I have such mixed feelings about this one. I might go with six parasite babies. I like that scale. I just feel like this episode was so all over the place in terms of like, what is it about? Is it about genetic and engineering? Is it about internalized racism? Is it about father's rights? Is it about people being Mm -hmm. really annoying when you're pregnant? So I give it um, two out of five dancing babies. 
Yeah, you know, I think that's totally fair. And we didn't even really talk about the like father's rights piece. I'll I'll say that I think Tom is is really supportive and great in this episode. But like, obviously, it is problematic if it gets into the territory that is like, the father gets to decide what the woman does with her body. And it is treading into that territory, if not getting there. So we'll just add that. That's a yeah, it's a good point. An angle I didn't really think too much about. I'm gonna. I mostly give it my uh, higher rating just purely because of the number of people that wrote in um, from mixed backgrounds who said this meant a lot to them, and uh, so I will. I'll weight that pretty highly. Um, but yeah, it is Berman era. It's got some issues. Mm-hmm. I was just really excited that at one point Tom says, "Computer, dim the lights," and my lamps actually dimmed, and that's the first time <laughs> Star Trek has done nice. that for me. Awesome. Well, that's about all the time that we have for today. So, Sarah, where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? They can find me on Instagram at Sarah M. Gouldy, S-A-R-A-H, Amazon Mary, G-U-L-D-E. And they can find my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly, at StarTrekQuarterly.wordpress.com or on Facebook. And Elisa? You can find me at Elisa Pearl on Twitter and Instagram, Elisa on Twitch, and the real Elisa Pearl on TikTok. And Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, do you have anything you'd like to plug or where can people find you elsewhere on the internet? Thanks for having me. So nothing to plug. Just happy to join you and because uh, big fan. And if anybody wants to find me on Twitter, um, MGC Trekkie. And yeah, I just mostly talk about Star Trek. That's the best way to use Twitter. IMO. Um, thank you so much. And uh, I'm Jara. You can find me at Jara Penguin on Twitter and Instagram. That's J-A-R-R-A-H Penguin. And I'm also at TrekkieFeminist.com. To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit WomenAtWarp.com, email us at crew at WomenAtWarp.com, or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at WomenAtWarp. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>